On Good Friday we should contemplate, Today God died for us, while we were yet sinners. We owe him everything. The thought is both stricken and heartening, like nothing else can be. And this thought should be ours every single day. Hence daily mass is so salutary, for it presents the same reality to us. The rites of Good Friday begin with tenebrae, and should include the way of the cross. The Starbat Mater asks who is not moved to see the grieving mother. Truly, Mary hurt nobody, ever. To have any opposition toward Mary is spiritually perverse. Many people may be indifferent to Mary because they do not know her. But anyone who is hostile to the Mother of God has invented reasons for that themselves, or chosen without evidence to accept slander about Mary. The way of the cross cultivates our compassion for Mary, making us more mature in Christ. The solemn liturgy of Good Friday, or the Mass of the Presanctified, may be thought of in four parts. First are the lessons, then the great intercessions, third the adoration of the cross, and fourth the celebrant's communion. All these replace the sacramental sacrifice. The violet vestments since Ash Wednesday give way on Good Friday to black, suitable for the saddest day in history. The altar is stripped. Think how beautiful the altar normally is. So also is the cross. But today we should face its desolation. The cross itself is veiled in black. The candles are unbleached. The sacred ministers prostrate themselves in silence. Acolytes veil the altar with one cloth only. The readings begin without introduction. God saying through his prophet Hosea, For I desired mercy and not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God more than holocausts. Of course the Father is pleased by this sacrifice, by his sons giving himself in a total holocaust. Yet the fruit he desires therefrom is that we become merciful as he is, as we grow in the knowledge of God. The collect is the same as from Maundy Thursday, contrasting Judas with the good thief. The first shows us the reality of damnation, the second shows that so long as we breathe, it is never too late to repent. The second reading is from Exodus 12, where the Paschal Lamb is a striking figure for Jesus Christ, for it is sacrificed in order to be eaten, as he in the Holy Eucharist. It is to be unblemished, as Jesus is without sin, male, it is to be sacrificed before sundown, as was Jesus on the cross. The blood of the Lamb saves for one night only, whereas the most precious blood of Christ saves for eternity, and it is to be eaten as sustenance for the journey out of Egypt, while the Holy Eucharist is to be consumed through the pilgrimage of this present life, delivering us from the slavery of sin and death. All these texts are to prepare us for hearing the Passion. Of this, Don Prosper Granger writes, the scourging is by the hands of the Gentiles. The Jews delivered him up to be punished, and the Romans were the executioners. Thus have we all had our share in the awful deicide. The illegal trial engineered against Jesus demonstrates that his opponents understood his claim to divinity, that he equated himself with God, for the final charge against him was blasphemy. Several of the rules which applied to Jewish trials at that time were consciously broken. For example, it was at night, and Jewish trials had to take place during the day. It took place during the feast, though this was not allowed, and it happened in the house of Annas. It should have been conducted in the council chamber at the temple. Where the Gospels of Saints Matthew, Mark, and John make all this clear, 
St. Luke refers to a trial which took place after the break of day and in the proper chamber. Combining the various accounts, we may conclude this was a second fake trial, staged to give some appearance of legality to the thoroughgoing injustice. When we hear that Jesus bowing his head, he gave up the ghost, a pause is made, and all present kneel. This is the moment to think, God died for me. We have no good reason to question God's absolute love for us. He gives us everything. When the passion is complete with the piercing of Jesus' heart, the deacon comes to pray the mundacor meum that his own heart be cleansed for the singing of the gospel which concerns Jesus' burial. But today the deacon asks for no blessing upon himself, nor even for the incense. Today the acolytes hold no candles, for the light of the world has gone out. Today the evangeliarium is not presented to the celebrant to kiss, for while Jesus is in the tomb, sweetness is forgotten. All is mournful. Four times in Holy Week, the Church has presented to us the Passion of Christ as recorded by the four evangelists, on Palm Sunday from St. Matthew, on Holy Tuesday from St. Mark, on Spy Wednesday from St. Luke, and on Good Friday from St. John. All four of these liturgical presentations of the Passion begin with the Last Supper and end on Calvary. The Church does not want us to separate these in our minds, for they belong together, Jesus preparing in advance everything for his death, for being God he knew it would come, and he gave himself willingly. As the Last Supper cannot be separated from the Passion, neither can Holy Mass. This unity of the Last Supper and the Crucifixion as the same single sacrifice is indicated by their taking place in one day, the Last Supper in the evening and the Crucifixion on the following afternoon, which is how God measures a day. Having us read repeatedly in Genesis 1, there was evening, there was morning, one day. Hence the Jews count the beginning of the day from sundown. And for nearly 2,000 years the Church has done likewise in her liturgical day, it beginning with first vespers. And again how fitting that the host consecrated at the Mass of the Last Supper be used today on Good Friday's Mass of the Pre-Sanctified, showing the deep connection between the two, the single sacrifice of Holy Mass and the Cross. Following the Gospel come the great intercessions when the Church makes her most important pleas of the year. She prays respectively for the whole Holy Church of God, for the Holy Father the Pope, for all orders and grades of the faithful, for governors of the state, for catechumens, for the necessities of the whole world, for the return of schismatics and heretics to the true faith, for the conversion of the Jews, and for the conversion of pagans. The sense of making these intercessions on Good Friday is that as Jesus in his Passion, with a strong cry and tears, offering up prayers and supplications, was heard for his reverence, so also should the Church. This is on the most solemn day of the year in her public liturgy. Are there any pleas more powerful? The intercession for all orders and grades of the Church includes subdeacons, acolytes, exorcists, readers and porters. Shortly after these words were removed by the liturgical revolutionaries, Pope Paul VI attempted to remove them from reality, which indicates the danger of abandoning traditional prayers. Between them, the intercessions for the catechumens and for the Jews indicate that our soul has ears and eyes. For just as the whole visible creation speaks of the invisible God, so also our visible body speaks of the invisible soul. 
That is to say, we may gain an understanding of the faculties of the soul by considering the powers and operations of the body. For the catechumens, we ask that God would open the ears of their hearts. These are even more important than the ears we have on our head, for through here comes faith and understanding. St. Paul tells us, faith comes by hearing. And in the prayer for the Jews, we ask that God would remove the veil from their hearts, because unless he does this, they cannot see the light of Christ, but remain in blindness. There is no other prayer which in the last hundred years has been as fought over and changed as many times as this prayer. It is a catastrophic tragedy that the church scarcely prays in public anymore for the removal of this veil. This is a rejection of God's teaching through tradition and a cold-hearted indifference to the Jews, as if we do not care whether or not they know Christ and be saved. Rome has acted against the mission of the Church in diluting this prayer. Ceremonially venerating the cross began in Jerusalem after St. Helena discovered it in the 4th century. But as relatively few people could make the pilgrimage to Jerusalem, the ceremony itself spread widely to other churches by around the 7th century. For Jesus said, And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all things to myself. And St. Augustine tells us, By this he recalls the sufferings of his cross to give hope to sinners, so that no one will despair, no matter what his crime, or think that he is too evil, since the very people who crucified Christ are freed from their sins by Christ's blood. For there is no sinner so great that he cannot be freed by the blood of Christ. This is one of the most beautiful expressions of charity ever recorded fitting for that single greatest act of charity ever committed, namely Christ's self-gift on Calvary. Again Jesus said, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. The meaning of the serpent on the cross is that we are meant to see there sin was crucified. For Jesus took on our sins. This is the greatest love on earth. Isaiah said, In that day the root of Jesse shall stand as an ensign to the peoples. Him shall the nation seek, and his dwelling shall be glorious. So Christ crucified is an ensign to the whole world. The cross, the altar, holy mass, is our standard, our colors in battle, which gives us order and hope, and which the enemy seeks to capture or destroy. But if we cleave to the cross, defend our altars, assist at holy mass, then the enemy certainly Fails. Et lignum crucis, behold the wood of the cross, on which hung the Saviour of the world. Come, let us adore. The priest removes his chasuble, and receiving the veiled cross at the foot of the altar, there is a threefold unveiling as he sings the Et lignum crucis, each time with a rising intonation and rising the steps of the altar toward the center until the cross is completely unveiled. We may say this represents the spreading of the preaching of the gospel from the pre-Pentecost timidity among the disciples to their bold preaching to the Jews and then in all glory to the whole world. Or else the three steps respectively make reparation for the ignominies suffered by Jesus first in the house of Caiaphas, then the court of Pilate, then on Mount Calvary. All kneel for the threefold venite adoremus. Then the sacred ministers remove their shoes, while the reproaches and the trisagion in Greek and Latin are sung. Holy God, Holy Strong One, Holy Immortal One, have mercy on us. They approach the cross with a threefold genuflection and kneel to kiss it. The faithful follow. Then sitting, the priests pray the reproaches. 
I opened the sea before thee, and thou with a spear has opened my side. O my people, what have I done to thee, or wherein have I afflicted thee? Answer me. I went before thee in a pillar of cloud, and thou hast led me to the judgment hall of Pilate. O my people, what have I done to thee, or wherein have I afflicted thee? Answer me. I have fed thee with manna in the desert, and thou hast beaten me with whips and scourges. I gave thee the water of salvation from the rock to drink, and thou hast given me gall and vinegar. O my people, what have I done to thee, or wherein have I afflicted thee? Answer me. Among many other crimes against God, this speaks of all the liturgical sacrileges, where God has given us the Holy Eucharist, the sacred food, the sacred drink, and in our ceremonies the spirit of the world has entered to offer God gall and vinegar. Notice that Jesus said, I led thee out of Egypt. I opened the sea before thee. I went before thee in a pillar of cloud. All this is said by the Son of God, who was active in Egypt 1,400 years before the crucifixion. The same who was delivered to the chief priests, whose side was opened by a spear, who stood in the judgment hall of Pilate. As the veneration of the cross rightly takes a long time, as all the faithful come to kiss it, the scholar may sing again and again these words of wonder from the 6th century hymn, Crux Fidelis. Faithful cross, above all other, one and only noble tree, none in foliage, none in blossom, none in fruit thy peer may be. Sweetest wood and sweetest iron, sweetest weight is hung on thee. Though Good Friday is so mournful, it has within it the deepest joy. We adore thy cross, O Lord, and we praise and glorify thy holy resurrection. For behold, by the wood of the cross, joy has come into the whole world. Toward the end of the hymn, candles are lit at the altar, a corporal spread upon it, and the cross, once venerated, is placed back in the centre. Then comes the climax of the Mass of the Pre-Sanctified, though we remember everything so far has been about the cross. From the reading of the Passion, the intercessions, which are Jesus' very voice from the cross, the Church praying for what he prayed for, the long veneration of the cross, and now the consummation of the host. For this the priest resumes his castle, while another 6th century hymn is sung, the Vexilla Regis. The royal banners forward go, the cross shines forth in mystic glow, where life himself our death endured, and by his death our life procured. It's better in Latin. The host, wine and water, and altar are incensed, but due to the sadness of the day, not the priest or the people. The Orate Fratres is said, but the response is not given. Instead, the Paternoster is sung in the ferial tone, so we see the whole canon of the Mass is omitted on Good Friday, for there is no consecration. The fact that the canon is prayed in its entirety every other day, and not at all this day, shows its unity. It is not meant to be broken up, for it works as a whole. As there is no other prayer so holy as the canon, its omission causes us to think, why on this most holy of days is this most holy of prayers missing? The answer is because every other day of the year we make a memorial of the Passion. But this day, Good Friday, we recall the Passion directly, rather than through its memorial. Exceptionally, the whole Libranos is prayed out loud. And whereas normally there are three prayers preceding the priest's communion, today there is only one. The first is omitted perhaps because it speaks of Jesus giving his peace to his apostles, while on this day they have abandoned him.
or else because of the Pax and Judas's kiss is still in the air. The second prayer is omitted because it speaks of the precious blood, while those which speak of the body alone are retained. Similarly, though the chalice is purified after, because it has held the host, the quodore sumpsimus is prayed during the purification, but not the corpus tuum domini, for that also speaks of the blood which the priest has drunk. We may note a practical point here as well, that after the altar was stripped of its three cloths, today it wears only one, for there is no precious blood, and the purpose of the three cloths is that if, God forbid, the chalice should be spilt, then the most precious blood will be quickly absorbed. There is no proper communion or post-communion prayer, no placet tibi, no blessing, no last gospel. Rather, the ministers reverence the altar, that is, they genuflect to the cross, and depart to recite vespers without chant. So ends the ceremony. As a conclusion for Good Friday, let us recall that Jesus' passion involves so many kinds of suffering, for he wishes to reach every soul in every possible way with the greatest force. That is, he displays his love for us in showing he is willing to suffer anything for us, for he loves us even as sinners. This should be our consideration on Good Friday, that God so loved the world, he sent his son to die for us, and his son willingly went. Finally, we may be moved too by realizing that whatever our sufferings are, they are not so great as his. But if we will offer our sufferings up, unite them to Christ on the cross, then we too may participate in the salvation of the world. And here we understand that deepest mystery, our suffering can be turned to joy. One is willing to bear the trials of this life, for one trusts immeasurable good will be born of it in the next.